One of the things that you will see uh, in the Bible is that the people uh, knew those who were speaking, those who were preaching, uh, they did not preach the same exact message for everyone. They had the same gospel. But they would present that gospel in a different way depending on the audience that they were, that they were talking to. Uh, later in Acts, you're going to see when, when uh, Paul came to a bunch of folks who had never heard of, of, not only they had never heard of Jesus, but they had never even heard of Jehovah God, the one true God. I mean, they had no clue. And he began talking to them by looking at some idols that surrounded them and talking to them about kind of taking them from that point where they were and bringing them to a point of understanding the gospel. Peter here was not speaking to a bunch of folks that have never heard of God or even never heard of Jesus. He was speaking to Jewish people who believed in Jehovah God or Yahweh God, however you want to pronounce it, but that God of the Old Testament, the great I Am, they believed that God was there, that he was true, and, and they were followers, or so they thought. But yet, these people who claimed to follow Jesus, they had came, claimed to follow God, they had actually rejected his son, the Messiah. And so he speaks to these highly religious folks, folks who, boy, they, you know, we don't memorize anything now, Right? We've got everything right here, you know, numbers. We don't learn numbers anymore. We don't learn much of anything. We put it on our phone, and, and then our life is over when our phone gets destroyed, right? And then we're like, oh, you know, it's, it's a major tragedy. You see people posting it on Facebook, and people put sad faces by it because they know it's really sad when we mess up all that information. But back then, folks remembered. They memorized all sorts of things because paper wasn't cheap and books weren't cheap. And, and these folks would have memorized hundreds of verses of the Old Testament, large portions of it. They knew all the prophecies. They knew the stuff that David, um, that he spoke and because David, boy, he was the man. Out of all the kings of Israel, he was the, the great king that they looked back to. And they knew that there was going to come a day in which there was a future David, a greater than David, a descendant of David's who would be the Messiah. And as great a king as David was, he still had a bunch of problems and flaws and sins and issues. But they knew that one day from the lineage of David, there was going to be a greater king come, and he was going to fulfill the prophecies. And there were things that David spoke about that really, when he, when he spoke about them, they kind of made sense about himself, but then, then they kind of, you know, they said, well, these things don't completely make sense about David. And Peter says, all of these prophecies that you have memorized and these things you've believed about God, but you've never understood exactly how they work. Jesus, the Messiah, God's Holy One, he really fulfilled those, pro those prophecies. And, and he picks out a couple of uh, specific examples. He said, hey, hey, he talked about that, uh, that the, the grave would not overtake him and that he would not decay. He said, but wait a minute, guys. We know where David is today. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. Right now, I don't think we know where David's tomb is. But historians tell us that in the time of Jesus, they knew exactly where the tomb of David was. It had never been um, defiled. It had never been messed up. Everybody was aware of where David's tomb was. In fact, one of the local leaders, one of the Herods, had upgraded and put a great statue 
like a, a historical marker, you know, to say this is David's tomb. So everybody knew. And Peter says, David, his, his body is still in that tomb. We know where he is. And so David must have been speaking about someone greater than himself when he said his body would not decay, but his body would be with the Lord. And he was talking, he says he's talking about Jesus because he was raised from the dead. The people in the, that day believed that the spirit of a body would, would hang around, would hover for three days before going on. And so it was very significant to them that Jesus had, had uh, been raised on the third day, that his body uh, did not decay, but yet it had gone to be with the Lord. And he begins to highlight to them and let them know, Jesus has fulfilled all of these things that you said you were looking for. You say you're looking for God, and yet you rejected Jesus. He said, Jesus is the very one that you've been looking for. He's the one who fulfilled all of these prophecies. And another one he mentions is, the Lord said, sit at my right hand. He said he wasn't talking about David. He was talking about the ascended Jesus who went to heaven and now sits at the right hand. And so he gives them uh, all of these examples. And kind of the kicker to this message, in verse 30 or 36, he says, So let it be known clearly by everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. In other words, the one that you rejected, the one that you said was not real, he was the one that God himself said, yes, this is my son. Yes, this is the Messiah. Yes, he is the promised one. And he has given him all glory and honor. In other words, you folks got it all wrong in thinking that you were Defending God from this person that you didn't know about named Jesus. In fact, you were fighting against the very God that you come, you call on, that you say you serve. And Peter had spoken in such a way that the folks who are listening were deeply hit by this message. <laughs> like, whoa. They'd never considered it this way. They'd never thought that they were fighting against the very God they claimed to serve. And so in verse 37, it says, Peter's words convicted them deeply, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? In other words, they heard the message, and they believed the message. They listened, and they said, I mean, there, there were tears, I can imagine. There was trembling. There was... If it would be in a modern-day message, you could say there was gripping of pews. And they said, we're wrong. We did wrong. We did not accept the Messiah. What do we need to do about this now? We believe you, Peter. What do we do to make up for this terrible rejection of Jesus? And Peter replied, each one of you should turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
This promise is to you and your children, even to all the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this generation that has gone astray. Peter said, if you really believe this message, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the one that's sent by God, there's two things that you need to do. Number one, you need to repent. Repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of actions. If you believe in Christ, what you need to do is change your life. You need to change the way you're thinking. Your rejection of Jesus, you need to change that to fully accepting Jesus what he did on the cross, that he is your Lord, that he is your master. They'd rejected him. And he says, turn away from that. We're not talking about the fact that, we're not talking about someone having to clean up their whole life before they come to God. We're not saying that you come to Jesus perfect and then he accepts you. But he's saying that when you come to God, you do not come to him in rebellion. You do not come to God and say, God, you take me on my terms because I want to get what I want to get out of you. I want to avoid hell. I want to get the blessings of being a Christian. And, and God, here's what I'll offer you and here's what I'll hold back. Peter said, no. You don't come to God on your terms. You come to God on his terms. And when you come to God, you acknowledge that you've been in the wrong. You acknowledge that you, without him, are nothing. That you have nothing that can make up for your sin. And you surrender and you submit yourself to him. You say, God, here I am. From my old way of life, from my unbelief, from, from my rejecting you and living my own way, God, I am turning a new way and I am following the cross. I'm denying myself. I'm taking up my cross, that is, I'm dying to my selfish and sinful desires. God, I'm going to follow you. He says you need to repent, to turn from that way and turn to God. And the second thing he says is to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was talking to these Jews, and he wanted to make sure that they understand that this was not something that they could keep on the down low. They could not just pretend, you know, and say, oh, I've slightly changed my Jewish beliefs. They had to fully acknowledge that the person that they had rejected, the one they had pushed away, the one they had said, he's false, crucify him. They had to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. And baptism was the most public way they could do so. Jews in that day, uh, they had baptism, okay, as a, as a regular type of occurrence, but it meant something different. They had baptismal pools because they had all these laws about what was clean and unclean, and, and they felt like to worship God, they had to be clean. And so they would go, and they would walk down into the pool, and they would immerse themselves and say, okay, I did my little thing, I'm clean now, and so now I can go before God and worship him. John the Baptist came on the scene, and he said, no, this isn't something you do yourself. This is something done for you, and you will be baptized for repentance, saying as a sign that you are truly sorry for what you've done, and you've truly turned to God. But then Jesus 
and his disciples as they baptized said that it goes beyond just repentance. It is fully accepting Christ. It is in a very public place, whether it was one of those baptismal pools that were gathered around the nation, or whether it was in a a river or lake where people would go to wash their clothes and get their water. In a very public way, you would be baptized in the name of Jesus. You would say, I publicly identify with Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection. And in that way, you would proclaim, not just internally in your heart and say, I'm turning away from sin and I'm turning to God, but outwardly, you would say, I'm following Jesus. I was wrong before. I was far from God, but now I'm following him. I'm trusting in him instead of my own righteousness. We believe this message. What do we do? How do we act in such a way that we respond to this message? Paul says, repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized. He also makes two promises that when people come to Christ, that they will receive, first of all, he says, the forgiveness of sins. And the baptism baptism does not forgive you of your sins, it's a sign of that forgiveness. It is a a symbol of the spiritual baptism that takes place when God uh, spiritually washes you clean. He also says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That when you turn to Christ, that you will receive the Holy Spirit of God. And those two promises, he says, are for everybody. For you and for your children and for all who are far off. In other words, these promises are not limited to this day and time. They're for your children and your grandchildren. The word really means all of your offspring. All of those from this point forward, everyone throughout history can receive God. But he also says it's for those who are far off. That is, it's not just for you and and your little buddies and the folks that you know, but it's for everybody. All over the world, the gospel message is for everyone. (coughs) All people are called to this message. We come to Christ because he first came to us. He came and he lived and he died on the cross for our sins. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father in a place of prominence. And there he intercedes. That is, he goes on our behalf to God the Father. How do we respond to him today? There's a lot of folks who respond to Christ very casually. They say, oh, Jesus is my friend. Well, yeah, he is. The Bible says he's the friend of sinners. And Jesus loves me. Yes, he does. The Bible says God is love. But there is a right response and a wrong response to Jesus. And Peter, as he was preaching to those present today, still speaks to us. He says, you can't come to Christ in rebellion. You can't come to Christ and say, well, it's just about turning over a new leaf. It's it's about changing myself just a little bit. It's just about joining a, a church or doing this or that or the other. No, responding to Christ. If you believe in the message of the gospel, then there is a response. You and I are to turn from our sin 
and turn to God. To repent of what we've done in the past and put our focus on him. That's not just a one-time thing. I mean, we come to him and we repent of our sins. We're going to mess up. Doesn't mean we all get perfect all of a sudden. And the Bible speaks about us repenting as Christians. As time goes on, we'll mess up. We'll get off the path and we'll have to turn back to God. But there is something special about this time when we first come to Christ in which we say, I'm repenting. I'm turning from trusting in myself. And God, I'm turning to you. And then we make that public through the act of baptism. And Peter says, in this way, in this way, you have properly responded to the gospel. In fact, that is the way that they counted those who were saved, those who had joined the church, is those who had responded to the message and said, yes, I believe, and those who had been baptized. Later on, we'll see that Oh, the 3,000 souls that were added to the church were those who had been baptized that day. Now, Peter ends this message in verse 40. It says, Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, Save yourselves from this generation that has gone astray. Peter wanted his listeners to know You better not judge yourself by the people around you. The people in your family, the people in your community, the people you work with, the people you play ball with. If you're looking at yourself and you're saying, well, I'm pretty well off. I'm doing pretty good because I'm not doing any worse than them and I'm doing better than them. I guess I'm okay. Peter said, you're part of a corrupt generation. You're part of a people who have rejected God. They claim God with their lips, but their actions, their hearts, and their actions show that they don't really love God. They're not really following him. And so instead of comparing yourself and judging yourself by the people around you, you better save yourself from this mess that the world around you is in by following God's way. And he would have that same message for us today. That if we say, hey, I'm doing pretty good by by my standards, by the people around me, that's a false hope that you have. But I need to look at God's standards. And by his standards, without him, I'm lost. Without him, I don't have a hope. But with him, I have a prayer. I have an eternity. I have a hope in him. The people of of the days of the apostles, Peter and the early church, many of them listened, 3,000 on that day, and it grew and grew and grew. And yet the reality is that the majority of the people in that day, the Jewish people, rejected. The majority of that generation said, no, we don't believe that he's the Messiah. And so it was just a few years later. The destruction that both Jesus and the apostles warned would come upon Jerusalem came as the Romans came in and utterly destroyed, tore down the temple and everything that was important to the Jews in that day because they had not turned from their sinful ways 
to the ways that Christ had put ahead of them. God's call is still today. Peter says it's for those who are later in time and those who are in faraway places. Turn from your sin. Turn from your own self-righteousness. And turn to God. Call upon the name of the Lord that you might be saved. And that call extends to us today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you. And Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you and we praise you that there is a way out of the mess that we've created by our own sin and selfishness and wrong choices. It's not something that that we can really do ourselves, but we have to accept what you've done for us. Lord, we have to trust in the message of the gospel. Understanding that our own ways have taken us astray. They've led us into destruction. But God, we turn to you. We call on your name. Father, that we may receive life. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, maybe they're religious, maybe they've come and, and said, yeah, I like to check out the church thing. It's, it's a good habit. It makes my mom or grandma happy or it, you know, it looks good or it's a nice place to make friends or they've got all kind of other reasons. Maybe it's just a habit or a tradition, but God, today they need to realize It's not about any of those things. It is about being born again through the power of the gospel. That their lives can be changed forever because of what you will do in them. Lord, I pray today that they would believe. And Father, if there are those among us who have believed, either this moment or long before, but have never publicly followed Christ, God, that they would do that today, that they would come and say, I am a believer, and I want the world to know. Lord, maybe your hand is upon uh, some hearts today because they've got friends, they've got family, they've got coworkers who don't know you. And God, there's a heavy burden on their heart. And Lord, they simply need to come before you and Lord, pray and ask for your mercy and grace, Father, that your, that your spirit would open up the hearts of those that don't believe. Lord, maybe others are just broken today over things uh, in their lives or in the lives of friends of family, and they need to bring them before you. Lord, whatever it is, may we respond to you, Lord, in obedience and faith, repenting of our sin, turning toward you and obeying you. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.